lots of us in this room are old enough to have been around the block a few times and have tried some things in the ministry. And there are some things you do that just don't work. They fall flat. Some things you do, they, they work okay, but you really feel like, you know, you're kind of pushing a rock uphill. And there are other things you do when you realize that I didn't create this wave, I'm riding a wave. And that's what I think is happening here. There is just something going on here that is God. It's not Hunter. It's not anything that we have done, really. I mean, of course, we work hard. We do our best. We think our best thoughts and pray our best prayers and work hard and all that. But again, I know the difference. I've done that and seen certain effect. I've done that and saw other kinds of effect. And I've done that and seen this kind of effect where truly there is something happening uh, in our culture that makes us particularly useful in God's hand. And I've often said to Paul or any of you who, you know, were sort of around in the beginning or Debbie, we've often talked that I actually think it may take us a year or so, maybe more. I'm very patient with this. To really make meaning of why is it that God has raised up Holy Trinity Church. Because the way I think about it as a leader is my mind immediately goes to the parable of the talents. Where, you know, to one was given ten, to another five, you know, to another one. And, and the whole parable, the whole meaning of that parable is what did you do with what I gave you? So as a leader, a part of what I'm constantly trying to figure out is, God, why does Holy Trinity have all this favor? I don't think it's accidental that we are in a part of America, actually a part of the world, in which new trends come out of. Uh, it's certainly the west coast of the United States, specifically greater LA, is a place where historically things have emanated, especially in the church. I mean, it's from Costa Mesa, California, a few blocks away at Calvary Chapel that came a whole new way of thinking about what it meant to converse with a generation that was far from Christ. You go a few miles down the freeway, and you come to the Vineyard Anaheim, which literally, Vineyard music changed worship music all over the world. And so I'm not saying that we got that kind of thing going, but I'm saying I think we're in a wave like that. And so what I want to try to do this morning, thinking through these passages, is just try to make some meaning out of what it is that God's doing with us and through us. And I think it begins with this whole idea of covenant. Now, covenant is... Um, you know, for us these days, kind of a, just a technical theological term, probably lots of us would struggle even to give some basic definition of what that meant. You know, it seems kind of a conceptual word, not very concrete. But for these people who were experiencing God calling them back to them, it was actually a very concrete thing. So think of it sort of like marriage. Uh, you know, I don't know that I could give a definition right now, this moment, a really great definition of marriage that a social scientist might like. Or if there's anybody in the room who's a marriage family therapist, I don't know. I might not be able to, to give something that you'd be really happy with, but I know my marriage. See, what makes marriage concrete for me is not its definition. What makes it concrete for me is a 30-something-year reality of being in a marriage, in a covenant relationship, and that's what these people are experiencing. To them, covenant is not a way of doing theology. And that's the way it often is for us today. We might say, forgive the big words on a Sunday morning, but we might say, well, we're not dispensationalists, we're covenant people or whatever. And so for us, covenant has become a, again, a, a technical sort of conceptual word. But for these people, it was not conceptual or technical. It meant this. God raised us up. 
And in raising us up, he gave us sort of something to do with him. He created us as his partners and asked us to come together with him as his partners. We've sinned. We've strayed from that. We've missed that mark. We've transgressed that idea, that divine concept of what God had for his people, and now we're separated from him. They felt it. They knew it. Again, I just want to ask you, when you read the scriptures, read them this way, knowing that these people were at least as smart as you. Seriously, when it comes to just basic um, IQ, basic human IQ, these people were every bit as smart as you. They knew that you don't catch fish like that. They were as least as smart as the people you see on an ESPN bass show. I mean, you have to believe that or the Bible sort of becomes meaningless. They knew that that's not how fishing works. Otherwise, it's not a miracle. They got it. These were very concrete people. If anything, they were more concrete than us. And so when God hears them calling them back, excuse me, when they hear their God calling them back, that doesn't create a category of theology. It creates a very profound human experience. And nothing gives me personally more joy just because it fits my vision. So I'm just being personal here for a moment. Nothing gives me more joy than when I hear emails or hear phone calls from you guys or get emails or see the things you write on surveys. When you say to me, God is calling me back to him through what's happening at HTC. And that may be 20 or 25% of this room for whom you are reconnecting to God and his church and his purposes because of what's happening here. Well, again, that's a very concrete thing. And that's what gives us meaning. That's when I sort of start deriving meaning from Holy Trinity. Because, I mean, again, we, we care about stuff. I mean, we wouldn't have asked you those questions on the survey if we didn't. We try to decorate a little bit. We try to make the table look nice. We try to do things, you know, just like you would if you were having a party at your house. But that's not what makes meaning. What makes meaning are these very deep, real, concrete things. The drama of God calling people back to himself who had given up on church. Now, I won't ask you to do it here, but I know if I said, how many of you had just sort of got sick up and fed with church, right? You're just sick and tired of it and done with it. And somehow you found about, you found this little humble little church plant and it's working for you. I will, again, I know that 20 or 25% of you would raise your hand and say that's true. And so that's when I start sort of finding meaning for who we are, that God's calling us back to him, as the text said, giving us a singleness of heart, a singleness of action. What, what the text is really trying to talk about there is, is bringing to us a unity or a wholeness, because I know that even for Debbie and I, when we experienced our sort of church alumni phase, you know, church alumni, sort of went to church for a while, done with it, graduated, you know, sometimes they're called the de-churched or the unchurched. When we went through that phase, what I found was, is that sort of deconstructing the church, sort of, you know, uh, tearing it apart, you know, to look at it and be critical of it, what I found is that there was nothing constructive in there, nothing positive. And I had to somehow find a way back to something that was positive, that would bring a wholeness and a unity to my person. God says to these people, I'm going to never stop doing good to you. I'm going to inspire you to fear me. Now, I love the way Peterson gets this in the message when he says, I'll fill their hearts with a deep respect for me. 
And again, I've heard at least 10 of you over the last few months tell me that my life worked something like this. Uh, I'm not picking on anybody, just as an example. I grew up Catholic or Lutheran or something, and I found it to be stuffy, stilted, boring. I hated it. My parents made me go to church. Otherwise, I would have never gone. Then I came into sort of a contemporary church, and, and sort of Jesus became my boyfriend and my girlfriend. And, you know, we sort of sang all these sort of happy songs about how much we love Jesus. But actually, nothing was actually happening in my actual life. I mean, my human sexuality wasn't changing much. I still battled with all this. I was, some, I was maybe becoming an angrier, more manipulative person. So I wasn't actually becoming a transformed human being, but we had sort of this, you know, again, Jesus is my boyfriend or girlfriend kind of experience. And now many of you said to me, what I'm finding here is some sort of blend that is causing me to respect God again. And then there can be nothing more valuable When the Bible says, I'm going to help you fear me, it doesn't mean cower. It doesn't mean be afraid of me in the sense that I'm going to do bad to you. No, the text says, I'm going to never stop doing good to you. And in doing good to you, I'm going to inspire you to respect me so that you'll not even think of turning away from me. And again, that's what I see God doing in our midst. It's lots of us who had sort of turned away from the way we had known how to experience God and had found ourselves sort of lost and had we deconstructed church or criticized church, and that's fine. I don't mean to say we couldn't or shouldn't have, but then we felt stuck because, well, what's next? Well, what's next was to remember that God is never going to stop doing good to us so that we would not even think of turning away from him. So I think, okay, you know, God's up to something here, but again, what's the meaning? How do we derive meaning for Holy Trinity Church? Is it like when I was a young pastor in the 70s, it would have been when we break the 200 barrier, then we would know that we've made it. And, you know, we went to seminars and we studied books. I've got a whole library with probably 200 books on how to grow a church in my library. And that was the big deal. So we would know when, you know, we'd sort of arrived if we had, uh, you know, broken the 200 barrier. But, but if you're trying to make meaning of us, I mean, think about making meaning of something even much bigger. How do you make meaning of Jesus? I mean, literally, John is seeing the cosmic purposes of God unfold before him in this vision. That scroll is the purposes of God, literally the eternal purposes of God. Whatever God had intended before he created the first thing, that's what that scroll represents, the eternal intention of God. And it's sealed with these seven seals, which just basically means it's completely, perfectly sealed meaning no one had access to it. And of course, the Bible talks about this in many places. No one's ever seen God. No one knows the counsel of God, that sort of thing. Well, that's what this text is saying, that the eternal purposes of God are wrapped up in this, and it's never been able to be sort of unfolded or put in the hands of anybody. But in this huge cosmic drama, Jesus comes forward. He takes the scroll of him who sat at the right hand, and all the heavenly hosts break out saying, you are worthy. And again, We've all sung songs like that or have those words in it, you are worthy for some, some of us 20 or 30 years, others 5 or 10. But what does it mean? Why is Jesus worthy? How do you make meaning of that? Because you were slain. In a sense, as much as, again, we, we sing about and revere the blood of Christ shed on a cross, there's a sense in which 
that's like a symbol or a symptom of of something deeper and greater and more profound. And the deeper and greater and more profound is when Jesus hung on a cross and stretched out his arms and said, it is finished. It isn't just finished in that redemption of sin is paid for. What it means is this is Israel as God intended. Jesus is the final fulfillment of all the promises and calls of God on Israel. When he said, you're going to bless the whole world, and they continually failed, and this is the story we hear in our Old Testament readings all the time, you failed, I'm calling you back, you failed, you're in exile, I'm bringing you back. That story that has these big ups and downs, it's all done when Jesus hangs on the cross, and he is finally Israel as God intended. He, as a man, he catches up into all of his being, all the hopes and promises and fears and disappointments of Israel. And he fulfills them on the cross. And he's humanity as God intended. This is what God intended with Adam and Eve when he said, come work with me, rule and reign with me, watch over my creation with me. So on the cross, Jesus is worthy because he's slain, but slain not just with reference to this small category of sin. It includes that, but it greatly transforms it because it gives us a picture. What does it mean for me to be a follower of Jesus? And for me, as your pastor and leader, it gives me meaning for what does it mean for Holy Trinity to exist? Why do we have this favor? What's going on? And how do we deeply embed ourselves in one of the most important pieces of geography on the whole globe? How do we actually be what Jesus asks us to be, salt and light? Now, I got to tell you, I'm not in any hurry. And you will never feel pressure from me. As long as I'm alive and have breath and I'm the leader here, this is not going to become some hyped up place. Rah, rah, go, go, next hill, charge, you know, and so that three months from now you're all worn out. But we are going to get there. It's just that we're going to get there in quiet confidence. Write this down. Quiet confidence, gentle peace, honest humility. That's how we're going to go. That's going to be the values that shape this. But we are going to get there because it's what we're called to do. This, if we're going to make meaning out of the favor that we all feel, and I'd, I'd guess that 99% of you here this morning feel this favor, and as Paul and I read the survey results that you send back, you tell us you feel this favor. All I'm trying to do this morning is say, how do we make meaning of it? And I think what makes meaning of it is that we see that the key to the unfolding of the cosmic story is the obedience of Jesus. And then, you know, John sees that he says, I've made you to be a kingdom and priest. To do what? Look at the text. To serve our God. To reign with him. If you're wondering where this story's going, here's where it's going. A, you're never going to die. Did you catch that? You are never going to die. What's going to happen is you're going to be translated into a different reality. He who believeth in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And where's that story going? Well, he says here we're going to reign. And if we were to go all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, 22 verse 5, it says, and they will reign with him forever and ever. Where's this going? Somewhere in God's cosmos, you're going to be this. Somewhere in the end of the story, you're going to be humanity as God intended. That's where this story's going. So in the meantime, we just cooperate with it. We don't have to hype it up. 
We don't have to make it happen. We just simply cooperate. We do what we did. We say, blessed be God. Respected, honored, followed be God. And, and, and yes, and blessed be his kingdom, which is simply his action on the earth. Yes, blessed be his kingdom. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, fill us and empower us and give us new character and give us the gifts that we need to, with quiet confidence, gentle humility, move in what you're doing. And as we do so, we will not only be sort of making meaning for Holy Trinity, we will be discovering the meaning of God. When I think of it this way, just a simple little phrase for me that I borrow from a, a great lady from the 60s, she's now dead, called Elizabeth O'Connor, who was kind of the chief lay person and author for Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C. She wrote what was for me a very formative book 10 or 15 years ago called Journey Inward, Journey Outward. And that's now the way I think of this. So if you were to say to me, well, Todd, why are you experimenting with doing the prayers of the people a little differently? Uh, Why are you experimenting with um, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, adding these things at the beginning? It's got nothing to do for me with making church. For me as your pastor, it has to do with how can I help you in this one hour and 15 minutes take a journey inward in your own spiritual transformation as a human being so that we can all together take a journey outward that says, God, why did you raise up Holy Trinity here in Orange County? What what are we doing? What's our calling to be a part of this for you? That's always what I'm doing. That's always how I'm thinking. So you say, well, why did you add this morning Blessed be God. Because you're telling me that a big part of what's happening to you is you're learning to respect God. I'm giving you a tool. So that every week now, for as long as we live, we'll say together, we're here because we respect God. And we don't do that on our own. The very next thing we do is we say, come Holy Spirit. This is going to be a people of the Spirit. Holy Trinity will always be a people of the Spirit. I mean, otherwise it's sub-Christian. There's no way of actually being Christians without a constant invocation and conversational interaction with the Holy Spirit and him giving us power and authority and gifts and transformed character and all that. That's why we do what we do. Do you see what I'm saying? What I did this morning, here's what I want you to get. What did I do this morning? I changed church. That's not a big deal. We added a couple of lines. But I changed church. No, I didn't. I, meaning merely, What I did was try to give us some little tools to shape our beings. Do you see the difference? Yeah, of course, we changed church a little bit. But not at core. At root, what we did was we gave ourselves just a little practice. We gave ourselves a little spiritual discipline to say, oh, yeah, when we walk in here, what we're doing is respecting and honoring God and his kingdom, which just simply means his expressed work among us and in the world. Well, then I think just to sort of finish up here, what, what John really does is gives us some sort of core values and practices for our story, which basically means we're going to be a people who have an ongoing conversational relationship with God. And a good deal of what I aim to do here and why I don't want this to become some hyped up, driven, type A, neurotic kind of thing is that when you do that, again, write this down, there's no space for God. There's no space and, and you already have to live your life bumper to bumper on the 405. I'm not going to make you live your life here that way. Here, you're going to find space to hear God. 
here in the life and rhythms and traditions and structures and routines of Holy Trinity Church, both in church and out of it, is you're going to find spaces where, you can, where we're going to make for you spaces for quiet, spaces for you to be able to hear him and be in conversation and relationship with him, just like these guys did. Throw your net on the other side. Changes their whole life, but only because they could hear. There is no obedience without first hearing. And so I like the sort of simple, quiet ways that we've done this. I mean, again, you're not supposed to start a church by starting a worship service. Well, we didn't have any choice. I mean, normally when Debbie and I have started churches, we started them around our dining room table, literally. We were sort of doing Alpha before it was Alpha. I was, um, when I first started my first church, I was first, uh, you, you'll laugh at this, but I was a morning, de- I was a DJ, <laughs> And I did the morning drive show, a little Christian radio station in Wheeling, West Virginia. I sold pianos and organs in a mall. Uh, I taught business at a, at a trade school because my undergraduate degree is in business. Well, I, I only say that to say that I was out in public all the time and on purpose. And as I met people, I'd invite them to our home. And of course, we'd share our faith, let them ask their questions. Debbie would cook wonderful meals as she does. That's how we've started every church. So this has felt so weird to Debbie and I to be flying in and out. I've sort of felt like a guest speaker. Do you know what I mean? But yet here we are. I mean, we did everything wrong you could possibly do. And yet, look, here we are this morning as a church that that God has raised up. But it's been very simple, just worship. You know, Debbie didn't see this because she was in there getting prayer because she would have asked me about it. I wondered why she didn't. But do you remember that morning? It's been a few months now. Well, three months ago when we first, we took that offering for Haiti. And Dave spontaneously brought the baskets up to me. And do you remember me just sort of losing it? I couldn't even talk. Well, it wasn't because what was going on with Debbie or our home or anything like that. It was, I was so overjoyed that the first thing we ever did besides worship was to give to others. That's what I, that's why I couldn't talk. I was just so overwhelmed that, oh my God, without even really trying, God really is making us a church for the sake of others. The little offering we took last week, we're going to give it all to local poor issues. It's just thrilling to me, but it's very simple stuff. And the way in for us is going to be the way on. So if you think, okay, what are some next steps for us? If you don't create waves, you ride them. How can we kind of ride this wave that it looks like God's giving us? Well, the the things that I think we need are some social glue, some community building, and some leadership development. So I want to I say to you, this is not a commercial. This is really more me just being honest and saying, if you were to ask me based on what I see and what you've said back to us in the last few days in the surveys, I just think the most important thing we can do between now and the middle of this summer, which if all goes well, Debbie and I will move here and be here by around the middle of June. So we've almost made it. I mean, put yourself in my shoes for a minute. I've been flying back and forth from here every week almost for 15 months and wondering, how are we going to do this? And how are we going to have a family life? And, you know, for me, how am I going to take care of Debbie and, you know, all her stuff? And, uh, you know, uh, Carol, Debbie and I were wondering, how are we going to take care of Carol up in Boise and going back and forth? Well, we're almost there. I mean, I can see light at the end of the tunnel. Seven more weeks, and we'll be living in our nice little home in Costa Mesa and being able to be with you guys and have you all over the house and start, you know, doing what we're doing. But what do we do in the meantime? And I just want to ask you to trust me on this. I, I'll probably only say this, 
you know, a handful of times in our whole relationship together, but this is one of them. I really think the best thing we can do the next few weeks is for as many of us as possible is to go to Alpha. Here's why. And I say this not, again, as a commercial, but, you know, I was the president of Alpha for four years. Again, this is something I kind of feel like I know what I'm talking about. Alpha does some genius things. First, it'll create amazing social glue and relationship building. Think of it this way. Name me one person other than a family member with whom you've had dinner seven times in even the last 10 years. I mean, we just don't do it. But if you, if you come to Alpha, you'll, you'll actually have dinner seven times with new people. You'll learn to listen and interact with this new egalitarian world. And you'll, you'll learn how it is that people are doing evangelism in this world in which we can no longer uh, uh, presume we have the superior place, but have to sit around a table and learn to listen as people now talk and observe their way into faith. I think going to Alpha will create a really great DNA in our church of learning to invite and include people. Look, the, the, the deal is, this is me taught as a professor of evangelism speaking. Look, there really is a barrier between the unchurched and the church right now. One of the strongest barriers in our lifetime. Well, the strongest in our lifetime. It's really there. You're not crazy for thinking it. But here's what you might not know. People are a lot closer to that barrier than you think. They're not like way far away. The barrier's there, but they're very close to it, sometimes in private jets. They're very, very close to it. Um, and here's what the statistics show, and I'm going to forget the exact number, but it's something like 83 or 87% of those people who feel that church barrier say that they would come if invited by a friend. If invited by somebody they trusted, they would actually come. And see, that's what I'll bet my last dime most of you don't actually believe somewhere deep in your guts because what we all see is the barrier. It's like the Berlin Wall. We all see it, but I'm just telling you that the truth of the matter is most people would come if invited. And so Alpha, just get, it'll, Alpha will show you how this works. It'll refresh your own faith as you hear the talks about why we believe and, and see this mix of both giving sort of simple Christian apologetics and listening to others and talking it through so that they see the reasonableness of our faith. It, of course, will do great community building. Now, as I've said, as soon as Debbie and I get here, we'll start having you over and stuff, and we'll do that as well. But the other thing Alpha does, and then we're done, is it gives us a, a way for leaders to emerge. And for me, personally, if you were to just, you know, look at my sort of to-do list for the next 90 days relative to Holy Trinity Church, is that we've now got to turn our attention to creating some more visible structures of leadership and that sort of stuff. I mean, we've got great leadership in the church, and you've seen it over Holy Week and 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 at other times where people are really stepping up. But all that to say, when when we create what we do here on Sundays, when we gather together to do something like Alpha, when we begin to create structures and systems and processes for leadership, why do we do it? One, God is calling us back to be his people. And he's calling us together to do it. Two, the meaning for this is not simply a new church in Orange County. The meaning for this is the same meaning that there was for Jesus. He was worthy to take the scroll because of his fundamental and amazing obedience. We find our meaning by going on this journey inward of our own spiritual transformation so that we can go on this journey outward 
of, of serving and being in the community around us. And to do that, we just have to have some basic structures and some leadership to help us get there. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www.myholytrinitychurch.com.